on solid ground. It makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. It makes me want to shout. And all the honor and all the praise makes me want to shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the everyone welcome to worship at fusion this morning we're so glad that you're here today and welcome to those joining us online as well at this time i invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of christ I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Let's sing to him this morning. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope, with no place to begin. 
Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested, my life began was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. is over me you have made me new now life begins with you it's your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new I'm a prisoner no more My shame was ransomed He faithfully bore He canceled my debt He called me his friend When death was arrested My life began Oh, your grace So free Washes over Rejoiced as though heaven had fallen. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over.
was a wretch, I remember who I was. I was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time. And sin separated, the breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your side to you. So you made a way across the great divide. Left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. There at the cross, you paid the debt I owed.
to his name there to my heart there to my heart was a butterfly glory to his name amen you may be seated Good morning. Well, my name is Andrew Gorder, if you don't know me, and I'm the uh, Fusion Elder. So it's my opportunity here to just share an update from Council. And we've committed to doing these updates on a quarterly basis just to make sure that there is awareness, understanding, and even some celebration of what's happening around here. And uh, following our Council meeting this past week, we can just update you on a few things that are going on. So. Uh, um, this is the first of those. First one is I'd like to share is that there's a strong sense of, of joy and unity working together as council. And that has been the case, but it's just, it's sweet. I've been on councils, you know, going back to the early parts of my career, and I look forward to those council meetings. And I think that's largely due to the way our staff works together strong sense of unity on the, on the staff, and that spills over into how we engage with them on their work. Setting direction, plans, figuring out where is the Lord leading us, seeking that, you know, with some intentional discernment. So I think we've got something really to be thankful for, and I can attest to that being a part of this council. Um, we are fully staffed, and the staff... Uh, really remains committed to using resources well. Um, there is real intention behind managing what we have well and properly. So been very grateful to see that. Um, as part of council, what we do as well on a monthly basis, we're reading. We're reading a book and then discussing that book chapter by chapter. We just got through a five-session um, reading of the book Grace and Truth by Preston Sprinkle very engaging, and we're moving now to a pamphlet book within the denomination called What It Is to Be a Reformed, uh, to be Reformed. So that ought to spark some ongoing good conversation that we have as a, as a uh, council. We also want you to know that as uh, a church, Hardaway, we have paid off that remaining loan that we've had out given some of the improvements that we've had. So big celebration there. And uh, next week, it was supposed to be today, but that picnic got postponed. So next week, we are having a picnic at Tunnel Park. We're going to ceremonially burn the mortgage. So light your fire, people. Light your fire. <laughs> so this summer, very busy on campus, lots of stuff going on. But now we've returned to our fall programming, and uh, it's pretty exciting what's been happening already. We had the kickoff last week, and then the return to community night, uh, Wednesday night community night dinners, classes, and all of that stuff. Um, we just, as a council, want to just thank the volunteers and staff putting those things together and 
um, working really well together. I think another testament to how well this staff can function and pivot was last week, right? Last week, Sunday. Um, partial power, we had to switch quickly to an outdoor service and it seemed to move very, very smoothly. So, very good. Um, this past Monday, we had our meeting and the Hardwick staff presented the budget for 2023. And uh, what we've read and understood as they presented that budget that the increase for next year will be about 3.9%, which given the fact that we're fully staffed and also given some of the inflationary pressures we thought was reasonable, we're still in that process you know, of evaluating it, thinking it through. So there's a, something we'd like you to pray about. I mean, that's that context where we're making decisions for how the ministry is being led forward and we're all in this together. So please be praying for council, for staff, as we're looking intentionally at what the plan is for next year. It's very connected to our vision for ministry. And uh, we do this together. So please be praying for us for that wisdom and discernment. Pray also for our whole community as a community um, in the way that we give out of the way God has blessed us and live and work with that spirit of generosity. I mean, this, I think, with what's been happening politically and also just pressure-wise with inflation, I think that's had some impact on how giving has happened. We started the year, beautiful giving at the end of last year. We entered the year here with a $400,000 operating budget, and that's like three months' worth of, of ministry work. At this point in the year, we're at about $120,000 in that operating budget, which is just a about a month of that, uh, that cash needed. So pray as well, and just consider your own position in that. Um, how is the Lord calling me to maintain that faithfulness and that courageousness in the way that I share what God has blessed me with? So just have us pray about and think on that as well. Um, the giving tab on hardawake.com has some of those options, and we just wanted you to be more aware or gain that awareness of how you can set up that recurring um, tithing within the, with your bank or even through that website. So check that out, hardawake.com. Some options there for helping us remain in, that, in the rhythm of giving. So again, thank you. There's a great deal to be thankful for, and we're uh, delighted as council to be leading and to be uh, hearing from staff and working with them. And... Uh, Again, uh, we need your prayer for that wisdom and discernment. And with that, I'm going to pass the microphone to Mary. She's going to lead us in the blessing and then also the congregational prayer this morning. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Ah, thank you, Andrew. That is just, that is so beautiful. And I... I can attest, I am so thankful that I am staying plugged in in a lot of different forms of ministry here um, as I retire, um, quote unquote. I uh, haven't done very well with that, but um, this staff is incredible. And I, I, I see it, the inner workings of it all going on, and the unity that Andrew mentioned, spot on. It is, it is a wonderful thing to be around on campus and to be engaged in a lot of different things here. So um, thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness, and your goodness to Hardaway Ministries in this community. So before I pray, 
kiddos, can you go gather by the door? We have Miss Janet holding her hand up there. Head on over, and we'll give you your blessing. I know I could feel him staring at me like, when is she going to let us go? Oh, I love seeing it. That's the other thing I plugged myself into teaching fourth and fifth grade. They're all boys in my class. I can do it. I can do it. All right, so let's say the blessing to our precious little ones here. Adults, the Lord be with you. Oh, my goodness. It's got to be one of the loudest. So as we continue with our songs and with our worship, let's bow our heads in prayer, shall we? We begin with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. As we rejoice in the gift of this new day, the light of your presence, O oh God, set our hearts on fire with love as we trust and lean and acknowledge you. Today we pause to give you thanks for creation's splendor as we once again embrace the changing of the seasons. Whether it be the sunflower, the bright orange pumpkin, the peaches, the pears, the apples, the dahlias. And the sun going down, going down to bed just a little bit earlier than it has been. May we take what seems ordinary, what we take for granted, and realize just truly how extraordinary it is. I think about the, the beautiful fall clouds, the sky that we've experienced the last couple of days. Recognize things that are great and small, beautiful and awesome, seen and unseen wonders. God of mercy and God of hope, be with us today as we have gathered here to learn of your will for us. Through each of our unique gifts and passions, may we boldly put into practice the good news of compassionate love, often making sacrifices when we really just don't feel like it, where we don't like to be inconvenienced at times, but turn our hearts Fill them. We think about situations concerning our family and our friends and our workplace and our social circle, our finances. We're concerned about our neighborhood. We're concerned about our city, our nation, and our world. When worries and fear overtake us, forgive us for our lack of commitment and faith. Heal us of our greed and our fears. We seek your healing mercies and patience for these situations as we all have something that we are dealing with. Remind us of your intense love, a love which left over the cultural and ethnic boundaries to feed the hungry, to seek the lost, and to care for the least. May it always be our goal to unite, that's the theme today, to unite together in your name, bound together in the work of justice and peacemaking. Make us one of the lights that shines in the darkness and illumines a path toward understanding and reconciliation. Help us to always remember that we will never look into the eyes of someone 
that you do not love. We give thanks for the beginning of the fall season with the start of so many classes and activities for our kids and our youth. We give you thanks for their energy and their curiosity, for their startling frankness and their tenderness and their abundant authenticity. They have so much to teach us. We pray, too, for the many adult opportunities that are offered as we come together in small groups to learn and to grow and to support each other. And as we pray for the numerous volunteers who continue to share of themselves as they lean and as they teach, may our sole focus always be that of bringing you glory and honor in all that we think, do, and say. We pray for the many within our community who are struggling with illness, discouraging diagnoses, anxiety, discouragement, grief. It's all around us. We know that each person here has come into this place with a prayer on their heart. For those unspoken prayers, we ask that you hear from our hearts, praying in faith and honesty as we release those prayers to you. Thank you that you embrace this fallen world. Thank you for this grace that flows endlessly to us each day, Lord. We celebrate your amazing love and we lay our burdens down at the foot of the cross. Thank you that we can breathe in resurrection life. Thank you that we are fully redeemed and restored. Lord, today we drink in again the hope of eternal life and the promise of heaven. Finally, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit as the scriptures are read and as the word is proclaimed through Pastor JB this morning. Almighty God, increase our faith as we experience your grace and receive the guiding power of your loving spirit. As together in one voice, we pray this prayer that you taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Right here, Mary. Oh, right here. Yeah, right there. <laughs> Thank, you. <My> <laughs> Thank you, Mary. And thank you, Andrew, as well. Good morning, good morning. I don't know why I repeated myself, but I won't do that the whole time. Otherwise, we'll be here for a long time. Harry, it is good to be back in the great room. My name is Pastor JB, and uh, as was mentioned last week, a little unexpected, um, but a, a beautiful pivot being outside. Um, and boy, did the weather change in a week. Amen. <laughs> or maybe not amen. I don't know. Oh, maybe some of us are upset about that. But if you came last week at 1030 and no one was here, apologies to, to you, but uh, glad we're here together in our space. Good, good, good. Uh, Andrew mentioned this as well. I sent out an email that, that was scheduled to go out before the, the update that potluck, not potluck, picnic next week. So just repeating it so you get it in your mind. Uh, also, just another quick announcement. There's some books at the, the back window there. I think we have maybe a couple left of the story. Um, so feel free to take one of those if you haven't gotten one already. If, if they, we run out, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer, so uh, check that out as well. Anyway, 
Last week was a little crazy. We didn't meet here. If you were trying to follow along online, um, I posted my sermon because I didn't get to preach my sermon. And uh, someone said to me, it's like holding in a sneeze. And you do all this work, you can't hold in a sneeze. So, so I preached the sermon, posted it online. So check that out. Last week's sermon is on the YouTube channel. Uh, but if you didn't get a chance, just a quick review from where we've been. We're in the story. Week three of the story. Week one, we looked at Genesis chapters one through 11, God's engagement with his world. We looked at creation and fall and God's activity and action within the world. Last week, there is our summary on the, on the, on the screen there. Last week, we, we looked at Genesis chapter 12 through 36 and covered Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we talked a lot about uh, covenant. What does this word covenant mean? And what does God call us to as to be a people of faith? And this week, we just take that last block, uh, Genesis 37 through 50. We're finishing out the book of Genesis today. So three weeks, book of Genesis. Next week, we'll begin in the book of Exodus. Genesis 37 through 50, excuse me, is really the account of Jacob's sons, focusing a lot on Joseph. And we're going to dive into that. From a larger story perspective, uh, this is the account that brings the nation of Israel, the people of God, into Egypt. And then they're going to spend 400 years in Egypt in slavery, right? And that's going to lead us right into next week with the Exodus to set up this morning, uh, here's a quick question for, for this morning. Have you ever watched a movie or maybe a TV series and the movie started with a scene from the end of the movie? Have you seen this strategy in, in, in kind of cinema and, and storytelling? And what's the, what's the strategy there? They begin with the, the end of the movie at the beginning because it creates this curiosity for the viewer and you're like, boy, how did we get there? And then the rest of the movie then kind of fills in all the gaps to get you to the end of the movie. Well, that's going to be kind of my strategy this morning. We are going to begin with the end of the book of Genesis, reading Genesis chapter 50, uh, verses 15 through 21. There's this scene with Joseph and his brothers, and there's confessions, and there's forgiveness, and you're like, how did we get here? We're going to start there, and the rest of the sermon, we're going to fill in the gaps, okay? So if you're willing and able, it's our custom here to stand as we hear God speak to us. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand this morning as we hear God speak to us. Genesis 50, the final chapter in the book of Genesis, starting at verse 15. These are the sons of Jacob. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, that is Jacob or Israel, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, your word which continues to speak truth into our lives so many years later. We pray once again, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to move in our midst as we, as we listen, open our, eye, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to your truth and to your words of comfort and encouragement this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. The word family, family. Family is, is important, amen? Family is, is formative, amen? And uh, all of our families are unique, Amen? Yeah. All of our families are unique. Uh, e- each family uh, has uh, their, their own quirks. And the family that we grow up in plays, plays a huge role in forming us into adults. And as I mentioned, each of our families have their share of quirks. Usually, uh, you don't notice your own family's quirks because that's just normal, right? Uh, And usually you don't notice your family's quirks until someone new enters the family system, or maybe you enter into a different family system, and you're thinking, boy, they don't do things the way our family does things, right? And so there's this moment in life when two people come together in marriage uh, that those quirks kind of come to the surface. Uh, Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen, yeah. And some Hollywood movies have, have made some brilliant comedies based on this dynamic of two families coming together. The the Put Some Windex on it is from the Greek wedding movie. Yeah, yeah. And then, then does anyone know? Yeah, Uh, Meet the Parents. And you have Ben Stiller's character getting uh, a lie detector test from his father-in-law. And so just some some really some hilarious movies have been framed based on these quirks. Now, here's the thing. Like, Hollywood then meets real life because... Uh, you know, our spouse kind of comes into our family, and um, my wonderful wife, uh, Yvonne, married into a family with some quirks, and uh, she's in the nursery right now, um, which we'll get there in a little bit, but she married into a family. I got three, bro- well, two brothers, so three, so I'm the middle of three boys, and uh, we, we can be a little loud, and we can be a little rambunctious, um, Amen. Should I ask that? Yeah, we can be a little loud and rambunctious. And uh, sometimes we, we, we can get into like a little uh, competing for the spotlight. And you got to understand, I'm the middle of two boys. So I got that kind of middle child complex. So like, look at me. Hey, look at me. Um, and, and, and in fact, I, I have a little video uh, evidence. Now you're going to have to forgive me. Uh, the quality of the video is a little bit lacking. But here's a little video snapshot of me as a middle, a middle child. Uh, starving for the spotlight, if you will. Let's see. Here we go. The cone, I think, is a good sign. There we go. That's my older brother. Hiding. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> Look at me. I want a picture of me. And uh, so, so that, is the, that is the man now grown up. I am him, uh, grown up, you know, kind of loud and, and kind of out in the spotlight. And, and that's who my wife married. And uh, she's serving in nursery because she'd much rather serve behind the scenes. She doesn't need to be in front of a lot of people. Um, but she married me and we had kids. And uh, here's, here's some evidence from just this past Friday night. We went to our first football game. And uh, here's, uh, here's my little man. Yeah. 
He's out there. He's dancing. A little halftime show. He didn't notice this, but I was holding the, the camera. He didn't see that I was, was filming him dancing his heart out. Uh, he's talking to high schoolers, by the way. I mean, this kid is just a, a piece of work, and we love him. And now he's going to notice me. Oh. Hey, don't be filming me. What are you doing? There you go. We all, we all marry into a family with some quirks. Amen. Amen. And uh, these are kind of just funny little quirks and, uh, that, that we can kind of joke about. And uh, at worst, you know, you just got to kind of come together and figure out how you're going to function as two people come together as one. But the quirks remind us of, of something else. Um, these little family quirks kind of remind us that um, there's other things in our families uh, that cut a little deeper. And there's other things in our family systems that shape us in a variety of ways. Um, unhealthy patterns of behavior, um, tensions within some of the relationships, unresolved conflicts. All of our families, there's, there's some broken relationships or there's hardship or tragedy in our past that, that form us in, in powerful ways. And all of these things are, are part of our family story. And because they're part of our family story, they, they become part of, part of our family. Our story, excuse me. They become part of our story because this is the system that we grew up in. There's a lot of studies on family systems theory and it's pretty fascinating. And, and all that can be a difficult thing to come to terms with, but, but here's what we're gonna look at this morning. This morning we're gonna continue to take a look at the story of, of God's people, specifically God's chosen family. And some of the things that, that we looked at, this chosen, this covenant family of Israel in the book of Genesis, what we find today is that some of the messiness that we looked at last week with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it continues with Jacob's sons. In fact, it only gets, it only gets worse. And this messiness, we see sin, family sin in Genesis 37 through 50. In fact, let's look at Genesis 37. We, we start at the end of the story. Let's, let's pick up at the beginning of jo Jacob's son's account here, Genesis 37. We enter in. And we considered this a little bit uh, last week, but we see that the story, in, in the story of Abraham's family, many of the sins of Abraham, uh, if you missed last week, catch up, but some of those sins get repeated. Abraham, uh, with his wife Sarai, um, Abram and Sarah, Ab later Abraham and Sarah, um, Abraham would ask his wife Sarah to pose as his sister to save his own skin down in Egypt and then with Abimelech, Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. His son Isaac does the same thing and asks Rebecca to pose as his sister in Genesis 26, some of these repeating sins. Then there's this other sin of having a favorite child or a favorite born son that continues to get repeated from generation to generation. Right? Isaac was the favorite as opposed to, to Hagar's son Ishmael. Right, But then Isaac favors his oldest son Esau while, while Isaac's wife Rebecca favors the youngest son Jacob and that leads to this deception and Jacob stealing the blessing from his older brother. And this gets carried down the line again to the next generation with Jacob, who is now named Israel. And those two names get used kind of interchangeably, right? 
And Jacob has a favorite son. You see, the, the dysfunction then is on full display in Genesis 37. Jacob's boys at the, in this point in the story are, are older now. They've settled in the land of Canaan, the promised land, and we're given some details of their dysfunction. Let's look at their dysfunction. First, we're reminded of Jacob, who has four wives, uh, right? Leah, who, who Jacob um, was tricked into marrying because he really wanted to marry Leah's younger sister, Rachel, worked seven years for, for Leah and then worked seven more years for Rachel, who he originally wanted. And then he also then marries both of their slave girls, Bilhah and Zilpah, and have sons with all four of these women, Abraham, Hagar, right? And the wife uh, of Jacob that, that Jacob loved most, Rachel, has two sons. The first son being Joseph, who is, who, is, who is Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. Later on, she'll give birth to, to Benjamin, and while giving birth, she tragically dies in childbirth. But here we enter the story, and this is what we read right here in Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4. Now Israel, that's Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in old age and born to his favorite wife. And he made this ornate robe for him, right? He's not hiding it, right? He gives Joseph this ornate robe. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him, loved Joseph more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not speak a kind word to him. This is the dysfunction we see continuing in the story. Israel's favoritism is not creating a healthy dynamic with it between his sons. And we see that playing out. Now we continue reading on, and if you know the story, Joseph doesn't help the situation at all. Right, we read on just in, the, just in the verses following that Joseph begins to have these dreams. And they're kind of strange dreams, dreams of, of sheaves of grain bowing to his sheaves of grain, yeah, other, other dreams of the sun, the moon, and the stars all bowing down to him. And all these dreams, what they mean is that his brothers are going to bow down to him. And he's sharing these dreams with his brothers. How is that going to go over? Well, the text tells us they hated him all the more for these dreams that he was having. You see, Joseph is either incredibly arrogant or incredibly naive, maybe some mixture of both. But he's probably oblivious. He's this young, favored, and foolish son who's just soaking in the privileged life, sharing of, you know, just, you know, flaunting around with his fancy robe, sharing these dreams with his brothers. And, and it's just this serious dysfunction within the family. Now let's just pause for a moment as, as we think about this family and their own dysfunction. Can, can we just honestly admit to ourselves that there's something relatable in that? <laughs> like this is not a story of a family where everything just goes peachy keen and can we admit that our stories are the same, right? We think about our own families and it might not be the same specific things but we can think about our own family systems and, and we can think about different dysfunctions within our families. Maybe there's some favoritism or some, some falsely accused favoritism, right? Or, or some immaturity or some arrogance or some jealousy, some conflict between family members. Dysfunction. 
let's jump back into Genesis 37. For Joseph and his brothers, this dysfunction uh, take a pretty bad turn pretty quickly. The dysfunction, this, this dynamic between these siblings becomes depravity pretty quickly. Joseph's brothers devise a plan when they're out in the field uh, to murder their brother Joseph. They, they, they hate him so much that they devise a plan to murder their brother. Now the oldest brother, Reuben, steps in and says, instead of doing that, let's just throw him into a, a pit or a cistern. A cistern is a, is a large pill, pit excuse me, that holds water there in the desert. Let's just throw him in this cistern and his plan is to come back and rescue his brother. But while he's away, one of the other brothers, Judah, remember that name, Judah, the fourth oldest son, speaks up and suggests, well, instead of throwing him in the pit, let's, let's sell him for a profit. And so the, the other brothers agree to this plan and they agree to sell their younger brother, Joseph, to slave traders. And in Judah's mind, this is kind of a win-win. We don't have the guilt of his, his blood on our hands and we're gonna, we're gonna kind of get a profit. So it's kind of this win-win-win, Right? Now, to cover up this hideous act, now we just have to pause, like they just sold their brother into slavery. We talk a lot about human trafficking. That is what has happened just in this moment. Brothers have sold their own flesh and blood into slavery. Now to cover up this absolutely horrendous, hideous act, they, they take Joseph's beautiful coat, they dip it in goat's blood and bring it to their father, lie to their father and allow their father to believe that his beloved son, his favorite son, has been torn apart by wild animals. Consider murder, they, they sell their brother to slave traders and then they deceive and lie to their father. These are absolutely deplorable things to do. And again, we pause and we ask, this is God's chosen people? This is the family system that God chose to bring redemption and rescue to the world and we're left kind of scratching our heads. And again, it's easy for us to kind of scoff at these atrocities. These are, these are pretty horrible things that these brothers have done to Joseph, but Again, we pause and we, we think about our own stories. We think about our own family history. Again, maybe not the same exact things, but for each of us, all of our families have these things in our past that we're like, oh man, that's part of my family's story, my family's history. Again, maybe not the same kinds of things, but hmm, more relatable than maybe we like to admit. Let's continue on. Remember week one, we talked about ancient um, stories and ancient literature. And in ancient, in ancient texts, there's not a lot of paper, right? So, so words are valuable. And so they don't spend a lot of time, ancient authors don't spend a lot of time on needless details that are not important. So here it's important to recognize that the next part of this story covers chapters. The author spends a lot of time on what comes next. And so it's important for us to pay attention. The, the, the story picks up in Genesis 39, 
through 41, giving Joseph's rise to power. This is the story of, of Joseph in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife, and so he ascends in Potiphar's house, and then he's brought back low, and then he ascends and exalted to the point of second in command in all of Egypt. And that's where we, that's where it, we pick up the story in chapters 42 through 45, and then we get this elaborate story of Joseph and his brothers, three or four chapters telling all of these details of Joseph and his brothers and how they get to the point of chapter 50 where there's some redemption and reconciliation. Let's talk about that now. Family, redemption, and reconciliation. Again, from this kind of lower story perspective, what is happening in these chapters? To summarize, Joseph's been in Egypt for almost 20 years, serving directly under Pharaoh for almost 10 of those years helping to prepare the kingdom for a famine that they now find themselves in. If you remember, Pharaoh had these dreams about seven cows, uh, cows that are starving that, that eat uh, seven cows that are well-fed. And he's like, what do these dreams mean? And Joseph discerns those by God's help. God discerns those dreams through Joseph to say that there's gonna be seven years of plenty in the land of Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. And so then Pharaoh uh, brings Joseph to power to oversee the economy and, the, and the, the distribution of that grain and he takes a fifth of that grain and keeps it stored for those seven years of plenty so that they'll be prepared for the seven years of famine. Well, in chapter 42, we get to the point where they are in the midst of that famine and now that famine has reached Jacob in the land of Canaan and Jacob or Israel learns that there's grain for sale in Egypt so he sends his other 10, ten of his sons to Egypt to buy food so that the family does not starve to death. They come to Joseph and they don't recognize that this is their younger brother that they sold into slavery who is now serving in Egypt's court, high court, second in command to Pharaoh. And there's a lot of details in these stories, but here's the, where I want to focus. They go, to, they go and they get food. They return home. But when they return home, Joseph says, don't come back to prove that you're not spies. Don't come back unless you bring your younger brother, Benjamin, with you. So they return home, and, he, and Joseph puts some money in their bags, right? And so they come back to Egypt in chapter 43, and they're terrified because they think they're going to be killed because of the money that was still in their bags, but they bring Benjamin. They bring their younger brother, Benjamin, and they come to Joseph once again. They think they're going to be killed, and Joseph throws them a feast. Throws them a feast. Chapter 43, there's, they return with Benjamin and, and, and Joseph sets up this elaborate test. Here's the elaborate test. Abbreviated version. Again, they think they're coming back to Egypt. They think they're gonna be killed. Joseph throws them this feast and here comes the test. There's an interesting detail. Remember, Benjamin is now the favorite son. So just like Joseph was the favorite son, now Benjamin, his full-blooded brother, Rachel's second son, is Jacob's favorite son. That's why he didn't let him go the first time. He's his favorite son. There's this interesting detail, chapter 43, verse 34, that at the feast, Benjamin is given five times the amount of food than his other brothers. What is that all about? You see, what Joseph is doing is kind of trying to set off that trigger of jealousy. Oh, here's our dad's favorite son. Oh, look at him getting the special treatment, five times the amount of food. And then Joseph sends them away 
with their food, but again, puts money in each of their bags. But for, for Benjamin, he puts his cup in his, his bag. And really what's happening is Joseph is setting Benjamin up to be the fall guy. Are you with me? What's happening is Joseph is testing his brothers to see if they've changed. The question is, will, will Joseph's brothers do to Benjamin, the favorite son of their father Jacob, what they did to him, Joseph, the favorite son of their father Jacob? Because J- Joseph sends, they, they sends guards to catch them in the act, says, Whoever has that cup, they got to stay and be my slave. They got to stay. Who has the cup? Benjamin. What could the brothers do? Favorite brother, jealous of him. We don't really like him all that much. Yep, we'll, we'll send him away. He can remain a slave in, in Egypt and we can head back scot-free. We can tell another lie to our dad. It's all setting up the same thing that happened to Joseph years prior. But something different happens. In chapter 45, something else happens. Instead of of setting up and, and abandoning and betraying their younger brother again, something redemptive happens. Remember I said Judah? It was Judah, the fourth son's idea to sell Joseph into slavery. In chapter 44, Judah is the one who steps in and says, you cannot keep our, our younger brother, Benjamin. My father has already lost a beloved son and if he loses another, it will kill him. And Judah says, take me instead. I will stay as your slave. Let my brother return to his father. That is a powerful, powerful moment of redemption. His brothers have changed radically. And it's at this point we enter into Genesis 45. And if you, if you, if you, if you read through all of this, you're going to see that Joseph, throughout these in, in, encounters with his brothers, he's, he's leaving them and weeping quietly in private. But at this point, in this moment, when Judah says, take me instead of my brother, he loses all control and he breaks down weeping in front of everyone. He sends the guards away and now he's left with his brothers and he just starts weeping and he reveals to them who he is. It's one of the most powerful moments in all of scripture, this powerful ruler breaking down, crying, revealing his identity and forgiving his brothers. You see, not only did Joseph's brothers experience redemption in this moment, but Joseph does as well, being reunited with his brothers. Soon he's going to be reunited with his father. And there's this beautiful moment of redemption, reconciliation, and healing of a family that's been torn apart by jealousy, hatred, betrayal in the worst sense. And we read this in verses 14 and 15, chapter 45. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and he wept over all of them. Now, just from a lower story perspective, this is moving and compelling. In fact, it should be no surprise that Andrew Lloyd Webber based a musical around this story. Amen? It's powerful. 
Stories of reconciliation, redemption, healing, things working out through tragedy. These are, this is a powerful, true account of what happened to God's people. And we love these kinds of stories. They give us hope in the moment. They give us hope for the future. But there's even more happening in this moment. And it's chapter 50 where we get a window into what's happening in this whole exchange with Joseph and his brothers. It's all about God's sovereignty and his redemptive plan at work in the midst of a broken history. Joseph says in in chapter 50, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. You see, Joseph in this moment has this upper story, this grander perspective to see that it was God's sovereign hand at work in the midst of all this tragedy and betrayal to to work through human history to preserve and save the lives of his own family. Because without all of this happening, Israel would have starved in the land of Canaan during that famine. In fact, in chapter 45, he says it more directly. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. Joseph has eyes to see that in all the dysfunction and all the depravity and all the despair, God was at work orchestrating a plan to save his chosen people. Again, to preserve them from a seven-year famine and to bring them down to Egypt. Of course, next week we're going to pick up where that, the story gets left off, right? God working through broken, dysfunctional, and even completely depraved people and families to bring about his good and gracious purposes. What we saw last week is that's been part of God's plan from the very beginning. It's been part of his story. And friends, I don't know about you, but, but I hear that and I, and I read this and what I realize is this is really, really good news for each of us. Can I get an amen? Because brokenness, dysfunction, it's, it's all part of our stories as well. It's part of every one of our stories here in this room and beyond. See, we can, we can, we can kind of chuckle at some of our family quirks. You know, a husband who's kind of loud and, and, and rambunctious sometimes. We can even be slightly embarrassed by some of our idiosyncrasies and, and some of those unhealthy patterns that we as families function, some of those dysfunctional tendencies. But then there's part of those, those parts of our family's past that, that we want to remain buried deep in the pages of history, right? Sometimes those things remain hidden and we work hard to keep them hidden and private, but sometimes they, they come out for the world to see and, and, and the, the, the current state of our world, that's a, that's a tough spot because there's a lack of forgiveness or grace in our world right now. So we, that makes us want to keep things hidden even more. But there's other things that can make, make those things worse when, when people around us re- respond in, in certain ways when things become public. You know, one of the, one of the more helpful, uh, less, less helpful and actually hurtful labels that, that gets thrown around today is, is this, this phrase, broken family. We say that a person comes from a broken family. 
And, and I don't think it's always used with, with malicious intent. And, but the problem here is that that label operates under the assumption that, that some families are, are not broken. And the truth is we're all, we all come from broken families. All families are broken. All families have quirks. All families have unhealth. All families have dysfunction. And all families, every single one of our families has some dark secret. And all it takes is, is doing a little search in an ancestry report. And I guarantee you, you're going to find some dark secrets in your family's history. We all come from broken families. But here is the good news to us. The only kind of families that God works through are broken families. And so when you think about your story, your family's story, and you think about the things that maybe you're embarrassed of or whatever, God looks at you, God looks at your family's story and says, I can work with that. Because I've been working with that for, for generations and generations. And God not only is at work in our lives and our families' lives, but he's at work to rewrite each of our stories for our redemption, for our good, for our blessing, to bring glory to Jesus Christ, in and through Jesus Christ. God's promise comes to us in Romans 8, familiar passage, but let me read it. And we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purposes. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God is at work in the midst of each and every one of our stories to bring about our good, to bring about his plan. Is that hard to see sometimes? Yeah, sometimes it's impossible to see how he's working. But someday, Someday we'll be reunited with Jesus Christ in glory and we'll see how God was at work in our lives. Amen. As we close, one of the things we've been trying to do during this series is, is see these threads that kind of weave through the story that lead us to Jesus because we believe the, the Bible is this unified story that, that leads to Jesus. Now the obvious thread in this story is, is Joseph, Right, the obvious threat is Joseph, a man who is a son, who is favored, is, 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 is humbled and then exalted. We see some reflections of Jesus there or, or a son who becomes a servant or a slave and is then exalted, the suffering servant. We see these. That's the easy thread, but here's, there's another one that I, that I caught this week that, that I want to share. Remember the, remember the brother Judah? Remember the brother Judah? Judah, whose idea it was to sell Joseph into slavery. Judah, who in chapter 38, there's this kind of cringeworthy story of a daughter-in-law, Tamar. That name might sound familiar. I'll let you read that on your own. Same Judah. But there's this same brother, Judah, who in chapter 44 steps in and says, take me instead of my brother. I will be yours. Take me instead of my brother Benjamin. The same Judah, if you remember, it's the line of Judah, descendants, descendants, that would bring about a king by the name of David. 
And the same king, descendants, descendants, would in that same line would come another king, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus Christ do? No, 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 don't take my brothers and my sisters, take me instead. Jesus Christ offered his own life so that we might have life both now and forever. Redemption out of brokenness, healing and forgiveness for sinners, life out of death. Friends, this is our story, this is our hope. Let's go to God in thanksgiving and prayer. Will you join me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for for scriptures that, Lord, oftentimes we read some of these stories by themselves and it's like, oh, it's hard to put together, it's hard to reconcile, like, what is going on? And yet, Lord, when when we step back and we see your hand at work through human history, Lord, it brings each of us great hope today. Because what your, your word and what this story reminds us is that, God, you are in the business of redemption. You are in the business of, of reconciling brokenness. You are in the business of healing what has been broken. And so, Lord, for us, as we think about our own stories, as we think about our own families, and, Lord, maybe, maybe there is brokenness and, and reconciliation that needs to take place. Lord, you are a God of reconciliation and hope. But even beyond that, Lord, not beyond just our our circumstances today, Lord, you bring us hope that there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ who came as that good older brother that said, take me instead of them. And Lord, you died in our place so that we might have hope today and that we might have hope of life for tomorrow and in all eternity. We thank you for this hope. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. My life is yours. My hope is in you only, my heart you hold, cause you made this sinner holy and heartbeat of my life is to worship in your light your glory is so beautiful your glory is so beautiful my life is yours 
family but there's good news because we serve a Jesus Christ who is good who has done all that's required to offer us forgiveness and to bring us wholeness so as you go from here go in that hope and that life and receive this blessing may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore God's people say, amen. No picnic at Tunnel Park, but donuts in the foyer.
Charlie Brown. It makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. It makes me want to shout. Of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. 